Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Castellanos leads off second. And the pitch to bowl. Swung on and lined out toward right center field. Soto's coming on. He can't get it. He dives. It goes all the way to the wall. Castellanos scores easily. RBI double Alec Boehm. And the Phillies are on top four to two. And that is all she wrote as they hold on to that with some good bullpen work. And take a two-to-one lead uh, over the San Diego Padres in the NLCS. Tyler Kepner joins us. Tyler is the baseball columnist for the New York Times. Like Mike Sielski, he is a product of the mean streets of Montgomery County. You can follow Tyler on uh, Twitter at Tyler Kepner, K-E-P-N-E-R. How you doing? Good, guys. How are you? We're doing great, as you can well imagine. Uh, by the way, Tyler has a new book just out, The History of World, the World Series, The Grandest Stage. And I want to start by taking a quote from your book and using it as the basis of a question. And you quote Ruben Amaro in this book, and he's talking about the great Phillies teams of 08 to 11. And Ruben, this is actually, you talked to him about how they lost to the Yankees in 09, dropped the NLCS to the Giants in 2010, and then Division Series to the Cardinals in 2011. And you quote Ruben here saying, when you're talking about playoff baseball, really, it's the team that's playing the best baseball. They're getting the breaks. They're making the breaks. I don't think we had the best team in 08, of course, when they won. I think Boston had the best in 08, but they got beat. So are we now seeing the flip side of that? Are we now seeing the Phillies as, hey, the last team into the playoffs as the team that's playing well, getting the breaks, doing everything right, and maybe found that magic? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, you know, it's it's – it's really, I think Rob Thompson said something in San Diego that was pretty cool. He said, like, for us, the pressure was just getting here. You know, that was that was the hard part, was, was getting into the playoffs and breaking the drought and all that stuff. And once they were in, it, it seems like it's been um, a different team, a team that's playing, uh, you know, looser and, and, and getting the most out of itself, which is really, I think, really what, what we've been waiting for um, if, if we've been watching this team. You know, like, they've had – uh, good players. They've done a lot of right things um, here. You know, they spent really well. Um, they brought in a lot of talent and even developed some. And uh, it's all coming together. It doesn't matter if they only won 87. You just got to get in and see what happens. And um, and they're making it happen. Tyler, it's good to talk to you, my friend. One of the things that Glenn and I have been kicking around this morning is uh, Rob Thompson's approach to 
pitching, particularly with ahead of tonight's game in Game Four, starting Bailey Falter. You know, do you take Ranger Suarez out after 68, 68 pitches last night? You obviously have a much broader perspective on this, you know, deeper knowledge of Major League Baseball and the trends and the way people think about these questions now. Kind of what's your perspective and take on the way Thompson is handling the pitching staff? You know, do you worry about game five or a potential game six or seven? Or do you say to yourself, you know what, we got to win tonight and whatever it takes to win tonight, we'll deal with the repercussions later. Yeah, that's the approach, Mike. You know, just win the game in front of you. And I think that's what we saw last night. You know, like in real time, I didn't love taking out Suarez because he hadn't shown any reason uh, to doubt him at that point. Um, but it worked. I mean, look, they, if he gave, he gave you five, that's great. If you feel like Eflin's a better matchup to get you through six, you know, based on how his stuff aligns with the particular hitters and it works, then, hey, that's great. I mean, you know, he was, wasn't going to go much more than six anyway. These guys don't do that much. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a slightly different way of, of, of watching baseball, and it's going to be really different as we go forward with no off days the rest of the series. Um, but I think Thompson has earned the trust. Um, I mean, like I didn't love taking Wheeler out of the one hitter the other day, but I guess, you know, his, his velo was dropping a little bit, and then he agreed to it. So I think Thompson has really earned that trust with the players, and they're making him look good by, by executing. I mean, so it's going to be weird today, you know, seeing Falter, you know, only go through the lineup once, if that, and then mix and matching but win the game in front of you. Um, worry about tomorrow, the next day, because these wins are so precious. Just get it and then try to figure it out. So, Tyler, this works if you get a bullpen that you can trust. And for much of this year, certainly for the last five, six years, the Phillies haven't had that at all. Your column today um, in the Times, or at least on the website of the Times, uh, the headline of which is a reliable bullpen is exactly what the Phillies needed. We didn't see it until recently. What's the turnaround? Yeah, well, they've found a uh, a late game combination that works, and you can throw so many possible uh, permutations at it as they have the last few years, right? I mean, you don't need to go through all the all the names of the Workmans and Kennedys and Knables and mm-hmm. and and all the different guys, Bradley, who who they tried out. This this grouping seems to be working. I mean, Alvarado and Dominguez. Eflin as well um, have all been great, but particularly those first two. I mean, they Alvarado's pitched in every win in this postseason. Um, they haven't lost when they've used Dominguez or Eflin, um, and that's how teams win in October. I mean, in the, in the book, I, I go through kind of the reasons why the Braves didn't win more than one title, and it was just because they could never quite get that reliable end game. You know, you think about Braves. Uh, relief pitchers back then, and it was Alejandro Pena or Jeff Reardon or John Rocker or, or, or Greg McMichael. It was always it was sort of someone different. You know, Mark Wollers had one good postseason, but he didn't really sustain it. Um, and the Giants won three in the tens because their relievers were always nailed. So you can't, you just can't afford to blow a lot of games. I mean, it goes without saying um, to, to win in October. But if your relievers, if you find that combination, that shuts it down, wins the game you're supposed to win, that's when you get rings. Tyler, what was the perception of the Phillies around Major League Baseball before the playoffs began? Was there a feeling that this was 
a sleeping giant if they could put everything together? Was there a feeling of, oh, it's the Phillies, they'll blow it again? Um, they always come up short in September. Kind of give us the pulse of what baseball thought of this team before the postseason began. Yeah, I think there was a lot to prove. I mean, they certainly had the star power. I think it was looked at as kind of an underachieving team um, for sure. But when they traded Girardi, or when they traded Girardi, when they got rid of Girardi and, and, and brought in uh, Thompson, um, everything changed. And I, I think at that point, it sort of became this team that that uh, you know, like, wow, do you realize how hot the Phillies are? Like, how good the Phillies have been since since uh, they made that managing change. I mean, I did a story on Rob Thompson um, in August, I guess, kind of just pointing out like the difference that that. That he had made and how well the team had been playing since then. You know, you, you follow various Twitter accounts and they, you know, you'll see like, huh, like they, they have the same record through this number of games as the 08 and the 1980 team. Oh, that's interesting. You know, so you start thinking like, well, maybe there is something going on here. Um, certainly they have to prove it, but uh, I think it kind of took a while for people to notice just how hot this team was uh, just because of the bad start. But you mentioned Rob Thompson, and yeah, I mean, the numbers certainly bear it out. You uh, spent a lot of time in New York. You're based in New York. I'm sure you see the Yankees a lot, watched Rob Thompson over the years. Um, he's not hes not what we're used to as a manager. Uh, he's quiet, and you don't get a lot out of him and so on. What do you see as – why? I guess it's a simple question. Why has he been so successful? He's a guy who, you know, genuinely – cares a lot more about his players than about his own profile. He was never that guy in New York where um, he sought out attention. If you want to talk to him, he was, he was fine. He was cool. He was, he was, uh, he had a wry sort of sense of humor. Um, You always knew that he kind of saw everything in the room and knew, knew what was going on. Um, But he wasn't going to be out there uh, cheerleading for himself or promoting himself. He just cared about the players. Um, he was always the most prepared guy in there, and that's what um, really matters to the players. Is, is if they know if they can, tr- they'll trust you if they know that you're prepared and you really care care about them. Um, doesn't matter that he didn't play in the big leagues. Doesn't matter that he hasn't won um, championships as a manager. Um, you know, he he earns their trust. And, and baseball people really like those kind of guys who who just don't just do the job and don't say a heck of a lot it's not that he's not like you know revealing much because you know you ask him a question he'll, he'll you know he'll tell you but he's he's not uh he's sincere i think is the biggest thing he's sincere and and they see that he's sincere and he's prepared and you know that that that's what this group needed so tyler and i glenn were born i think a month apart and probably like two miles away from each other <laughs> he grew up in, <laughs> in flower town i grew up kind of in glenside you know, Ardsley, Abington, Upper Dublin. I, I just remember having talking to Tyler before about how he likes to say he used to score regularly off his neighbor, Mike Richter. That's correct. There right? you go. That's at Flower Town Zone. <laughs> you, you can't mention the name. I don't know na- if I ever scored off him, but he was my next-year neighbor. <laughs> there you, go. You, you can't mention Mike Richter without prefacing it by saying, Flower Town Zone, Mike Richter. There you go. Um, it's like That's his right. real first name. Um, but, but, Tyler, you've written in your book, The Grandest Stage, and I think you and I have talked about this, um, that as a fan, you went to the 1983 World Series, and that that was the big event that really got you hooked into baseball. Um, and you it, you've made it your career. In some ways, you've made it your life. What what is it like for you to, on the one hand, have this national perspective and love of the sport, and you're covering it in its totality, 
but to still, you know, based on your your youth and your childhood, um, to be able to cover the Phillies, you know, in a postseason series like this, um, you know, kind of take us through how you do it and what you're what you're thinking and feeling while you're doing it. Yeah, I, I've you know, covering the the '08, uh, the '07, '08 um, rise really. Um, that last game in '07 uh, when they beat Washington to get into the playoffs, and then throughout the 08 run was, was obviously really special. Um, and, but it was special to me because, you know, because I knew the history and I knew so many people who, who care so much about it still as fans. Um, and it was a great story. Um, you know, when, when they lost in 09, that was, I was the Yankees beat writer. I covered the Yankees for eight years. It was a great story for the Yankees to get back on top, um, and to beat the champions to do it. So you realize that it, 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 you look for, you look for stories, and when the Phillies are the story, um, that works for me because I, I can, I feel like I can bring um, a, a little more depth to a little more texture to what's going on with the team um, because I, I have followed them um, my whole life. So it's it's definitely not a matter of rooting. I mean, I, I, I've I've right. read plenty of stories about them when they're not going well. Um, but like in 08, you know, I, I knew Dave Montgomery my whole life. So I could write a profile of Dave Montgomery um, with a lot of sort of nuanced history that, you know, maybe other national writers didn't grasp because they didn't know Dave their whole life. So uh, that kind of thing, um, you know, is, is where it comes in handy. Um, you know, just being attuned to things in the area. Like, you know, I can go to Hatboro and write about the relief room. <laughs> like, yeah. like the fan out there who, who, uh, who honors the Phillies relievers in his bathroom. Or I can write a story last year about um, how Mike Schmidt, uh, the 50th anniversary of the drafting of Mike Schmidt, which was the most successful draft pick in Major League history um, in terms of you know contributions for the team that drafted you. Um, statistically, it really is, and, and, and I think by eye test, too. So, yeah, so I can find those kind of stories um, because of my history uh, following this team, and, and, and that's, uh, that's pretty gratifying to be able to do. All right, let's close by telling you about a new uh, – speaking of the World Series, you have a new book that is just out, The History of the World Series, The Grandest Stage by Tyler Kepner, which we hope you're going to have to soon do an addendum adding the Phillies year. But tell us a little bit about the structure of the book. By the way, your last book, uh, K, was just terrific. Loved it. I look forward to getting and reading this book. Tell us about it. Yeah, thanks. It's uh, it, Like Mike mentioned, it was – you know, it all sort of stems from – being eight years old and going to a World Series game in the afternoon at the Vet. Um, they lost. Obviously, 83 is not that well-remembered um, because it was so close to 80, but uh, I missed 80. I was five years old, right, Mike? So I don't know, remember anything about 1980, but I have that image of uh, Gary Maddox lining out to Cal Ripken burned in my memory. Me too, yeah. And I, I was thought from the front row at the Vet because, you know, I stuck down there when fans had left. So, um I've always paid a lot of close attention to the World Series. I've always loved it as an event. I always thought there was uh, material there for a book that that was that would not be structured like a um, like a reference book. You know, first first series to last, go through them one by one. Um, I wanted a more of a readable um, narrative, and and so I chose a lot of different themes. I chose dealing with the pressure of the World Series and unsung heroes and managing in the series and. Um, how to build a World Series team, and there's Philly stuff throughout it. I mean, I talked with Mike Schmidt about how how he could be so locked in and be the MVP in 1980, and yet couldn't get outside his own head in '83, and he went one for 20. You know, how to mm-hmm. deal with the pressure, right? I mean, I talked to 
Dell Unser kind of about being uh, an unsung hero who stepped up in the big moments. Um, I talked to Roger Mason about how he was kind of the the guy they should have stuck with in in, in Game Six in Toronto. Um, you know, when Fergosi, you know, went to the exhausted relievers, um, you know, West and Anderson and, and, and Williams, instead of just sticking with the one guy who, for some reason, was having the night of his life. Right. You know, so, so like getting into that stuff, um, I think will really resonate with the fans around here in particular, because um, hopefully I was able to, to you know, bring out some of the things that they remember or, or you know, for the good and the bad of this, uh, of this great event. Can't wait to read it. Um, good stuff, Tyler, as always. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Tyler Kepner. Get his book. Read him in the New York Times. Pleasure to talk to you, man. Always love it. Great. All right. There uh, you go. Tyler, see you later that. this afternoon, man. There you go. That's right. That's right. All right. Let's sneak in Joe from North Wales before the break. Hello, Joe. Hey, Glenn Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Like, you got I it. Your, I love your What's Brewing show. I watch it every, every Thank week. you. It is on tonight. After It's on at 930 and after Philly's post game on NBC Sports Philadelphia. We sit yeah. around and drink beer and talk like idiots. <laughs> it's a great show. Very, Thank very you. I, I thought that was our radio show, Glenn. Well, we don't have the beer, yet, but I can bring some. <laughs> okay. Yeah, go ahead. So, Glenn, I'm, I think, the same generation as you. I was 18 years old in 1980. And uh, I just watched that, that NLCS and we're going nuts. And I wanted to go to game one of the World Series. I didn't have any tickets, but I decided I wanted to go. I'm going. So mm-hmm. my buddy uh, used to have to walk past my house to get home from school. He went to the prep. And he's walked past my house. And I went out and I said, we're going to the game today. He goes, you got tickets? I said, no, I don't have tickets, but we're going anyway. Good plan. So we drive down to the vet. And we're trying to figure out how we're going to get in. And I don't know if you guys remember, but the, the outside of the vet had the ramps, but the out, the ramps were covered by like a heavy duty chain link fence. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. You remember yep. that? Yeah. Yep. So we're trying to figure out how to get in. I, finally, I just said to my buddy, I'm going. So I climbed that fence about two stories <laughs> up. Wow. Jumped onto, wow. The, jumped onto the ramp. I, I leaned over to tell my buddy where to meet me. And here comes security guard. He's running down the ramp. Right. And so I start running, and he catches me down at the 200 level because once you get down there, you're you know you're you're right. stuck. Nowhere right? to go. So then he takes me down to the field. I'm looking at the Royals. They're at batting practice. I can't believe I'm going to get kicked out of this game. I'm inside. He takes me over to a motorcycle cop, and he says, "This kid just snuck in. Get him out of here." The cop takes me, walks me out. He goes, "All right, what's your name, kid?" And I tell him my name. And I'm a junior. My father was a captain in Philadelphia. Yeah. Police wow. Department. I can see where ah. this is going. <laughs> My name is the same name as his. And he goes, are you so-and-so's son? I said, I said, yeah, I am. He goes, uh, get on the back of this bike. And he's really mad at me. He drives me basically out to Broad Street. And he goes, all right, get out of here. Right? So oh. Ah. Not where I thought it was so going. He, Yes, well, it gets better. So you got to go wrap it up because i got to hit a commercial real fast. Um, all right, well, anyway, 41 years later, I'm at my dad's funeral, my, my hero of my life, that same cop comes up to me at the receiving line. He says, hey, you remember me? You were on the back of my motorcycle 41 years ago. Oh. Wow. And I, well, and that's I said, okay. Oh, the God. story would have been better if he let you stay in the game. Yeah, that's, that's why the story was going. That's what I thought was going to happen. I know your dad. Here, here's a seat. Right, exactly. You know, come stand with the police dogs and make sure nobody 
Bum yeah. rushes the field. Not the friendliest cop in the world. All right. 215-592-9494. What we're watching coming up in your calls with Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Mack now. 94 WIP. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast we get it attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on netflix but what do people do with their ears well for one they're listening to audio americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day oh and you want the proof well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. All right. Well, we're watching sponsored by Guided Door and Window. Receive 20% off all windows and doors with no money down up to three years to pay it off interest-free. Call Guided Door and Window today at one eight seven seven go guida or visit go G-U-I-D-A.com. Now, normally, Mike, we talk about things that we have watched already and give out recommendations. Today's a little bit different. We're talking about a movie that is premiering tomorrow at the Philadelphia Film Festival. Sold-out performance, but there's another one later in the week where I believe people can get tickets. The name of the movie is Rittenhouse Square. The writer, director, everything is a local guy. Let me just tell you about this guy before I call him up. His name is Brandon Eric Kamen. He's a Havertown guy, former intern, WIP intern for Ray Dinger and me. Grew up. Kyle Quinn gives you something to shoot for, man. There you go. A steam <laughs> filmmaker. Uh, I, I've known him since he was a kid. He's not a kid anymore. Uh, now he's a filmmaker, and he joins us. Brandon Kamen, how are you this morning? you got to be feeling great. Uh, thanks for having me, Glenn and uh, Mike. Uh, you know, 
it, it brings me back to when I was five years old, top shelfing you in street hockey. Yes. But, you know, we've come a long way. <laughs> just, just to, And I've talked about this in the air before. We used to have in our neighborhood these street hockey games that would go on for like eight hours. Oh, my gosh. And it would start, and then you kids would come and go. And, you know, they'd like go in for lunch and come back out, but there'd still be people playing. And I was kind of the, the – Steady goalie. Okay. And not particularly good. So, yes, Brandon has scored on me a few times. <laughs> but now, you've made this movie, Rittenhouse Square. It does premiere tomorrow. Tell us a little bit about the story of the movie. Yeah, so, uh, you know, Rittenhouse Square, I've always gravitated towards, you know, projects that are kind of like underdog, uh, you know, uh, against the odds types of uh, storylines. You know, our first movie was The Nomads about a rugby team in North Philly. This one uh, is about two young, uh, no, two people, uh, kind of different walks of life. Uh, a young kid from suburbs who's like a street singer, group of friends, and an older veteran played by uh, Nick Nolte uh, in Rittenhouse Square, both on the path of like self-destruction, and they uh, remedy their dark times with their friendship and, and, and music. So, Brandon, there are multiple stars in this movie, and we'll get to one of them in a minute. But um, I want to know what it was like to work with Nick Nolte. Uh, you know, obviously a, a famous, a well-accomplished actor. Um, so many great performances and so many great roles. What was it like to work with him? Yeah, I mean, you can imagine I was a little intimidated at first going out to meet him. I mean, this is only my second narrative film. Um, I spent, you know, 10, 12 years in, in commercials, so... So, you know, I wrote this with him in mind. He was my number one. And when he was interested, you know, I got to go out there and meet him. And when I tell you the guy could have been more humble, more excited to be a part of the project, it really just put everything at ease. You know, we would Zoom two to three times a week for months leading up to the project and just run lines together. So we were we were voiced kind of going into it. And it was, it was he's one of us. He really is. He's a football guy. You know, North Dallas 40, blue chips, basketball guy, UFC, you know, warrior, captain. You know, he's a three-time, you know, Academy nominee, Academy Award nominee, Golden Globe winner. I mean, this this is a guy with like 240 movies under his belt, and here he comes to Philly to work on an indie project. I was like, I was over the moon. Yeah, and and uh, I've seen bits and pieces of the movies. I'm looking forward to seeing it tomorrow. But he really, uh, he really did you justice. By the way, when Brandon was an intern for Ray and I is when Ray and I were writing the ultimate book of sports movie. And essentially Brandon was, how old were you at the time? 19, whatever, how old, maybe younger than that. No, I was, I was, I was like 15. Okay. Yeah. And we had, we had him kind of give us guidance on these sports movies for kids, which turned out to be a great chapter. So Glenn, Glenn, at first he told me to like, give my best movies and then all the movies that I knew were that's 1992 true. and <laughs> present. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like some stupid skateboard movie, but Hey, we got it in there. Um, the city specifically Rittenhouse square is a character in the movie. And I think people of Philadelphia will really appreciate how you honored the city in this movie. Well, that's, you know, not to mention you have a great cameo in there as well. Not even a cameo. You have a principal role in there. Uh, well, I don't know. We'll, we'll get to that. Trust me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, authenticity is, of course, at the core of any project I want to be a part of. You know, we're using Rittenhouse Square for the majority of the movie uh, and, and locations around the area. Um, and we're using street performers that you would see every day in the square um, as well. So, you know. Just you know, being in Philadelphia, filming in Philadelphia, having a cast and crew that's predominantly local, um, creating jobs here. I mean, that's that's what we're all about. What were the challenges challenges of shooting in Rittenhouse Square, Brandon? 
so, I mean, look, we were filming in the middle of the pandemic, like the, the heat of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was, of course, like a line item you're not expecting a part of your indie budget is like, oh, yeah, like here's 100 grand for uh, uh, COVID testing. We're like, what? <laughs> get out. Yeah. So, but, that's, but that's when you get um, Billy steps up. We have each other's back. So Jefferson Hospital is like, hey, we got you. Don't worry about it. Um, so that was just like a production savior. Um, so weather when you're filming outside is a huge thing as well, but really you can't shut down Rittenhouse Square. You can get a permit, but you can't shut it down. And, you know, when you're at 18th and Walnut with Nick Nolte and a hundred person crew and big cameras, you're going to create some buzz, but everybody in Philly was what we thought it would be, which was everyone was chill and relaxed and excited to just sit back and enjoy the show. Um, the movie premieres, as we said, tomorrow. There is another viewing later in the week. Will people be able to get tickets for that? Yeah, I'm told through the uh, film festival that it's it's getting you know it's getting sold out pretty quickly. But if you want to grab some seats, uh, go to filmadelphia.org and uh, check out Rittenhouse Square. Uh, there's also a Rittenhouse Square documentary playing from 2005 from Robert Downing Jr. Uh, uh, senior, but uh, just make sure you go to the Nick Nolte one and uh, try to match some tickets. <laughs> so, Brandon, Glenn has yeah. been talking to me about his cameo in your film for months, and he's basically described it as the greatest performance by an actor playing a police officer since Al Pacino in Serpico. <laughs> yeah. I mean, describe his acting skills for our audience, please. Basically, if they if they try to recast Forty Eight Hours with Nolte again, I would say Eddie Murphy out, Mac now in. Yeah. Well, (laughs) here's all I know. I was originally in two scenes. Brandon, as often happens, had to cut the length of it. I did make one scene. I I have to believe because it seemed a pretty critical part of the movie. So I did. I am on the screen at least for one scene. Correct. Yeah, it's, you're you're on the screen. You know, he always busts my chops for the Nomads movie. Yes. He was a referee in the movie, and if you blinked, you missed him. And right, I always felt bad about that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he, he's in there. My mom's in there. It's, oh, you got them all. Know, there wow. you go. Yeah. All right. Yeah. The name of the movie is Written House Square. You can see it. Uh, Would you say Wednesday night? Uh, it's this Sunday uh, on the bye week, you know, intentionally. Yeah. And then uh, next Sunday as well, so 730 at the Philadelphia Film Center. Terrific. And we are hoping that it gets wide distribution and you become a mogul, my friend. Good for <laughs> you. you. Nicely Thank done. You. Way, to, way right. to go, Brandon. Congratulations. I'll see you tomorrow night. Going to the premiere tomorrow night. The red carpet, baby. You're going to leave me behind yeah. and go forge this next career of yours as like, the next Javier Bardem. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. exactly it. Let us uh, let us talk to Mike in Yardley. Want to talk about that Profar check swing? What do you think, Mike? Well, I, I looked at it and I thought he swung. And my son was on the uh, right field foul line, six six rows back, and got a pretty good look at it. The fact of the matter is, is that if Profar hadn't rotated at his waist, he wouldn't have had a swing. Yeah, and by the way, I just looked at that through there, and I'm sorry, it was a swing. Yeah, I said earlier I don't know about that, and I have since looked at uh, still shots of it, and it certainly as bad as going through the strike zone. Yep, that went through the strike zone. But again, if he hadn't rotated where the bat is in relation to his shoulders, it wouldn't have gone through. Yeah, but he he rotated, and that's yeah. He didn't he didn't move. It wasn't because he broke his wrists or his hands moved too much. It was as if his upper body and torso. 
you know, took him through the zone. Took him through the zone, and the umpire made the right call, and I understand why he was angry, but, you know, he's just, he's feeling where his bat is in relation to everything else, but, you know, he, uh, rest of his body, but not with regard to where the bat was <laughs> in yeah. the strike zone. Yeah, you got no argument for me. No, no and, no, and, no, and no. I'll say this too, Mike, that was an all-time eruption in reaction to that call, I mean that was oh, yeah. that was one that people will talk about in, in when they talk about playoff baseball. Certainly, with respect to the Phillies or the Padres, for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is I'm not second guessing Rob Thompson on his pitching selections and uh, you know taking people in and out and how he's doing it because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I'm not going to criticize him for it until something really bad happens and nothing really bad has happened yet. I said to my son, you know, you always know when you leave a guy in too long, but you never know when you've taken him out too early, you know, and mm-hmm. so far I'm not complaining with the results. I'm going to, I'm going to ride with Rob is what you're going to do You uh, for the time being. Yes, indeed. Okay. And Sounds so- qualified. <laughs> like maybe sort of, but I, I hear you. So yeah, yeah, go ahead. Here's what he may do today. Okay. Going to John Stolness, frequent guest on the morning mm-hmm. show. Sharp guy. Yeah. Don't be surprised if Aaron Nola gets an inning out of the pen today. This is his side throw day, I believe. If it's close, would you give Nola an inning tonight, especially if Sir Anthony is not available? You know, that's an interesting concept for this reason, Glenn. I was listening to part of game two, particularly the inning where Nola, you know, gave up the lead and Brad Hand came on and threw gasoline on the fire and all of that stuff. And I believe it was Larry Anderson made the point that Nola was at 95-96 that day, more than he had been in just about any outing this season, which suggested that he was too juiced. Yeah, mostly against his brother. Exactly. And the ball was up in the zone. He wasn't locating his fastball the way he usually does. I wonder if him being a little tired and throwing an inning on his side day might actually benefit him a little bit. Maybe. Um you know, when when guys throw on their side day, it's not exactly like they're throwing in a high leverage True. playoff game. You're True. not you're not throwing the same way you are. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, I mean, I will ride with Rob if he thinks 25 pitches from Nola today isn't going to. Obviously, we all agree it can't screw up his start, his schedule start game six. Right, right. You can't in any way risk that. I know you were saying earlier you got to play for the win today. But you can't. You you don't have anybody else to bank on here. You got no, Wheeler right. and you got Nola, and that's what you got. You're right, and I think what happened in Game Two with Nola, to your point, is going to persuade or push Thompson to continue doing what he's doing. Right? If anything, he left Nola in the game too long. He yeah. didn't get no. him out when he should have gotten him out. So it's not as if he's going to make that mistake again with somebody else. Will be interesting to watch tonight. Seven forty-five start. Oh, baseball in October. 215-592-9494. We'll get to everybody coming up. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Lane Johnson is actually eligible on this play. Boy, I'd love to see them throw to Lane Johnson. Look out for Lane. <laughs> Hurts under center. Motion to the near side of the field. Hurts fakes. Looks. Fires. Touchdown, Lane Johnson! Oh, don't you just love that? 
Well, great call by Merrill and Mike there, by the How way. How about Merrill? Yeah, Merrill foreseeing a terrific play last year with Lane Johnson. We'll get to uh, what's going on with Lane in just a moment. We are joined by our friend from Cooper Bone and Joint, Dr. David Gelt. How are you on this Phillies Saturday, Doc? Can't be better. How about you guys? Uh, feeling good. Doing well, Doctor. Red October. Is there a cure for Red October? Just keep winning. That's it. There you go. Uh, serious subject, and Mike wants to bring it up. Uh, Mike, I'll just let you kind of handle it here. Yeah, so Dr. Gelt, Lane Johnson's concussion that he suffered Sunday night against the Cowboys um, kind of got glanced over, I felt like, in the aftermath of the big victory and the Eagles going <laughs> 6-0. and This is his third concussion that we know of in five years, uh, and the Eagles really haven't given any update yet as to his health, his status, anything like that. Uh, generally speaking, kind of your perspective on this, what could this mean for, for Lane and his long-term health, the possibilities of him coming back to play this season? Yeah, so um, I get this, you know, often in the office too, like, you know, is it three concussions, three strikes, you're out. And it's not really the amount of concussions you have. It's actually how long it takes to recover after each one. If it's taken months or, you know, for a significant amount of symptoms and it takes a while. You know, but if you have some you know, over a, a long period of time, it may not be that sure the, the worst thing. Um, again, it depends on what his symptoms are, how long it recovers, um, and if he's had any other issues before that, too, um, to really say if it's a season-ending or a career-ending issue. Is there more seriousness, urgency, concern, whatever word you want to use, because Lane has been open about his mental health issues, dealing with anxiety, the potential tie to head trauma and those sorts of uh, symptoms and behaviors in an athlete? You know, does that raise any red flags? Sure, sure. Yeah, so we do find now with the literature that if you have pre-existing conditions, whether it be anxiety, depression, migraines, or other comorbid issues, uh, sometimes that can delay um, recovery or prolong issues. Um, sometimes it brings it to the head a little bit more. So it is definitely something that we have to think about, you know, especially with any mental illness we do find that with concussions that can sometimes uh, muddy the waters a little bit and you know, prolong some of that recovery. And, Mike, I'll give you credit for a terrific column earlier this week because after Johnson's injuries, concussion, he left the game, I'm thinking, oh, well, you know, they have a bye this week. It's, you know, probably should be back within a two-week period. It'll be okay. And I didn't spend time to think about the man and his future and his past problems. And that's – it's really where, as you wrote, you got to put what's – about the person ahead of what's about the team, and it's a tough, a tough thing as a sports fan. And it was a well done, uh, well done column by you. Well, Doctor Gelt, how are we feeling about the Phillies? You all in here? I think so. I mean, from yesterday, it sounds like the uh, baseball gods are in our favor. The fact that we've had you know how many errors and you know picked mm-hmm. off the first base, you know, just something's uh, something. I'm like, we're going in the right direction. Absolutely, I feel good. I do. I think we all do. Thank you. By the way, there was a thing that came up yesterday. I hope I have this exactly right. In the history of postseason baseball, mm-hmm. Gene Segura. I, I wrote it down. Go okay, ahead. good. It's the first ever he, he accomplished a a triple feat. I, I want. I thought we might mention okay, this, and good. I wanted to write it down. He became the first player in Major League Baseball postseason history to commit an error, drive in a run, and get picked off in the same inning. And all I want to say is whatever intern for either Major League Baseball or Fox Sports who dug up that stat 
deserves a raise. Hire that kid right now because that is a trifecta that I had. I can't imagine all that many baseball fans have ever given any thought no, to. No, that was great. <laughs> Hopefully he doesn't do it again. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's a one, that's a one and done. <laughs> hey, uh, just real quick before you get back to the phones, I just uh, while we're on the subject of football, Niners make a huge move this week. They pick up Christian McCaffrey from Carolina. Let me see. They gave up a second, a third, and a fourth-round pick in next year's draft, a fifth-round pick in the year before. I mean, the fire sale is really going on right now in Carolina. Yeah. So I think it's a smart move by the Niners, depending on – I mean, talk about a guy who's been injured a lot. McCaffrey's that. But they look at the NFC, and they see the Eagles at 6-0, and and maybe they don't believe that much in the Eagles, mm-hmm. but they do think, like, who else in the NFC is all that? Even though San Francisco, I think they're three and three. Yeah. Are they three and three? Yes. Okay. They just lost to Atlanta last week. Yeah. <sighs> Atlanta better than I, Atlanta is better than everybody three. thought. That's yeah. true. Atlanta Atlanta just beat New Orleans uh, Thursday night, but I can see where if you're San Francisco, it's like we're going in, which leads me to this question: If you're the Eagles now, the trade deadline is coming up November first, right? So mm-hmm. we're whatever a week and a couple days away. What's your goal here? I would look at adding – I would consider adding a power running back. You know, Miles Sanders has been terrific, and I like Boston Scott, and Kenny Gainwell's been okay. Mm. Um, I would like them to add somebody, you know, the traditional kind of power, short yard. Like Garrett back. Blunt. Type. Yeah, kind of like that. Uh, I love those guys. The other thing is, and, and we talked about this before the show, I said depth along the defensive line. You said – Depth on the offensive line, yeah, because you've got a lot of hurts there. I mean, I don't mean H, I don't mean Jalen hurts. You got a lot of guys ailing yeah. there, including aforementioned Lane Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess Dillard's going to be coming back, but you know we'll see. My lot has been dinged. Yeah, Kelsey's got the ankle. I think adding a little offensive line depth is a smart move. Yeah, you know the McCaffrey thing is interesting for this reason. I I forget who I heard use this analogy, but it was basically like. It's like buying a Bentley and having the Bentley in the driveway, but can you drive it? And how fast will it go once yeah. you get behind the wheel? And McCaffrey has suffered a lot of injuries. Running backs you know, tend to have short shelf lives. Mm-hmm. Um, is he going to help the 49ers that much? He may very well. He's a great player when he's healthy. But I think we got to see. They gave up a lot. Yeah. Well, yeah, we will see. Makes it more interesting. NFL trade deadline is more interesting than it used to be. I, I think you got to credit Howie Roseman for some of that. He's made some big moves at this deadline. It's changed the world. This is this. It's as they say in almost famous Glenn. It's all happening, and it's all happening in Philadelphia. Is that a soundbite from what we're watching? No, not that one. No, that, that's I'm a Golden uh, God. I'm a, golden God. There yeah. you go. a lot of great lines in that movie. John and Manny Young is with us. Hello, John. Hey, Glenn. How's it going, buddy? Doing great, John. Nice to hear from you. Yeah, it was, uh, I just want to say I was down at my corner bar in Maniunk here yes, last night. It was like the most electric atmosphere. It was really yeah, incredible. Right. And they played that theme song, Dancing by Myself, whatever that song is. At the oh, end. that's it? You were singing along? Yeah. I was. I didn't know the words. I tried my best, though. There you go. <laughs> that's all we can ask, John. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, the, the, that was a great game. I just want to go to the opposite end of the spectrum. I just have a feeling with the Sixers, I don't think Doc Rivers is going to be here by Christmas. I think they're going to have to make some changes or he, he will be changed. Yeah, I was. we were talking about that before the show, John. I wonder what other moves the Sixers have to make if things don't get straightened out. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the they added depth in the offseason. That was the big 
thing that everybody talked about. Oh, they got P.J. Tucker and they got DeAndre Melton and, and they can go seven, eight, nine deep now. And you look at least through the first two games and the starters are playing 34, 35, 36 minutes a night. Um, you know, Matisse Thibel can't get off the bench, presumably because Doc Rivers thinks, and he's not wrong to think this, Matisse Thibel can't shoot, can't play offense. So um, yeah. it's it's going to be interesting if this keeps up. I don't know what other sort of move Daryl Morey and the Sixers' power people could make other than a change at head coach. Yeah, I think they'll put Cassell in there eventually, you know, just yep. move him up and right. Uh, Cassell uh, is the up. next Rob Thompson in this. I tweeted a picture <laughs> of Sam Cassell last night, and I said, here's our next <laughs> Rob Thompson. And I, and I, But I honestly believe that. I think that there's a lot of things wrong with the Sixers currently, but many of them could be changed by having a better head coach, and you may have it in-house. Yeah, I think uh, I think another problem is, I don't know what's going on with Embiid. They said he had some problems with his feet. He couldn't work out. I, I don't know if his heart's really into trying to be a winning player on a, a championship team. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's hard. Um, Thanks, I know. John. Thank you, John. I, I, people have a lot of different feelings about Joel Embiid. He's taken some criticism here. He's he has played through some injuries in the past, uh, but he does continually get injured. And and John was right. Doc Rivers did say that Embiid suffered from kind of minor plantar fasciitis during the off season, and it set back his conditioning. And um, it, I, I just know watching some of that game the other night, the loss to Milwaukee, he. He didn't look like he was into it. He appeared disinterested. Yeah. And, and that's it, another reason you changed the coach. You got to think about Embiid's it. going nowhere. Yeah. And, and, you know, here's the thing, Glenn. Um, I wonder about Doc Rivers. I, I have just never quite gotten the sense that Doc Rivers was into this as much as I would have thought. You know, he was brought here, and it's interesting that we're talking about this now because the Sixers obviously play the Spurs tonight, which means the return of – Spurs assistant coach and former Sixers head coach Brett Brown. Mm-hmm. Doc Rivers was hired to be a step above Brett Brown. That was, you know, the whole idea was the 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 Brett's time had run its course, and they got swept by the Celtics in the bubble during the pandemic. And we'll bring in Doc Rivers, and that'll take the Sixers to another level. Well, guess what? It hasn't. They they're still losing in the second round. Yep. Uh, so. You know, I, I think it's an open question right now about Doc Rivers' status with this franchise. I think it makes it, you make a great point. 215-592-0610. We've got some interesting callers, including a guy who got to hold the flag on the field yesterday. We will get to them coming up first. The great Larry Boa will get his take on everything that is going on. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack, now on 94 WIP. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.